This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. The Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce will have a changing of the guard this January as president of more than 30 years, Tim Sheehy, passes the baton to former state senator Dale Koyenga, MMAC's current senior vice president. Both leaders join us today to talk about Milwaukee's past, present, and future. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Tim, three decades is a long time to be in any job. How are you feeling as you're kind of winding down this part of your career? Well, I'm warming up to the, my two most favorite words in the English language, which are call Dale. <laughs> so um, I, I've had a great run, really enjoy uh, supporting the work for the business community, uh, the community of Milwaukee as a whole, and obviously I've spent a lot of time in the Capitol in Madison. Um, but it's time to pass the baton, and I'm thrilled to be able to pass it to Dale. Dale, you've got some big shoes to fill here. It's hard to think about anything that's happened in Milwaukee in the last 30 years that MMAC and Tim weren't a part of. How are you preparing for the new role? Well, we've just spent a lot of time with our board and our members. We have over 2,000 members, so it's just been a lot of time listening to them and just saying, you know, where we come from, where are we at, and where do you want to go? And so I think that Tim's legacy uh, will be continued. You know, about uh, towards the early stages of his career, uh, school choice was just an idea in a Milton Friedman book. It was nothing that was employed anywhere in the country. And it was Howard Fuller, former superintendent of Milwaukee Public Schools, and Tim's leadership at MMAC, and then some very courageous legislators and a governor who said, let's try this. So education will still be part of that. And then you, know, you talk about sports in Milwaukee. I don't think the sports team would look the same without Tim and MMAC. So I could go down the list. There's a, there's a lot of impact that Tim's made. And that's because he has a very engaged board and very engaged membership. That's really, you know, we have cities that are twice as large as Milwaukee and have half the membership. So that's the key to success as well. Why is Dale the right guy at this time in Milwaukee's history? Well, you said he has big shoes to fill. He's got bigger feet than I do. <laughs> so that's, that's why he's a, st a step ahead already. But I think, you know, if you look at the organization, what we want to do is ensure that Milwaukee is globally competitive, that we have high-value jobs that support a vibrant quality of life for all. So you take that vision statement or mission statement and match Dale's skill set. Um, he understands public policy. He understands people. Um, and he understands the politics around what we need to do to make sure that we fulfill that mission. So it's really a great opportunity for the organization, I think, and a great opportunity for Dale to bring that um, skill set to the organization and kind of take us to the next, you know, the next level or closest to that or closer to that vision. Dale, you're a former state senator, a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserves, a CPA. You must have a plan, some sort of schedule in mind. What, what, what does that plan look like, or what's your vision? Well, the vision is exactly what Tim just said. The vision that I have is going to be the vision that MMAC has. So what we've been doing is every five or six years, MMAC does a strategic review, and we talk to leaders in our community and say, what does our regional balance sheet look like? What are our assets? What are our liabilities? And what we're going into now is we're going to engage with stakeholders, primarily our board, and say, how do we capitalize on these assets? How do we minimize our liabilities? And how do we go forward? And so over the course of early next year, we'll start being announcing what that looks like and really go where the community wants any to go. Any foreshadowing now of any key priorities or plans? 
Well, I mean, education is no secret. We're going to continue to be engaged in education. Um, really, a lot of the challenges we have come back to demographics. So we have a 1% growth in our working population uh, between now and 2040, and that's just not sustainable for economic growth. So we definitely have to look at ways to get more people in, but also how do we get more out of that talent that's in our community that's not getting past high school. And so we'll continue to engage education. But no, I'm gonna be, uh, stay tuned. There'll be a lot of new excitements early next year uh, as we continue to prioritize uh, where the board wants to go. Tim, looking back, what's the biggest change you've seen in the Milwaukee region from when you took this job back 30 years ago to today? Yeah, I, I think there have been a couple changes. One is I think Milwaukee's really come into its own. I'm always reminded of the fact that when I started with the association in 1983, we had about seven Fortune 500 companies. And if you look at the seven Fortune 500 companies we have today, only one's the same, Rockwell. So change is our friend, right? Complacency is our enemy. And so continuing to work with Milwaukee as it evolves, it grows, um, as its industry and its industry makeup grows is important. And I think the, the message that we want to get across and we've tried to get across over the past 30 years and the message that Dale is going to take forward here is that we get up every day and we're competing for jobs and capital investment. So at some point, Wisconsin has to close the huddle, have its disagreements, but then come out and make sure that we support the economy that we have in Wisconsin because that's really what's going to create the capital investment and jobs and the tax revenue that benefit the quality of life. Uh, you had a big member meeting in October for MMAC talking about recent you know, challenges and accomplishments. I know one big accomplishment this last year was that increase in shared revenue for both Milwaukee and Milwaukee County and their ability to levy a local sales tax. Tim, in a message right after that deal was announced, you said, in 40 years of working with the legislature, this compromise may rank as one of the most promising ever to position Wisconsin and Milwaukee to compete for jobs and capital investment. Why was that deal so significant in your eyes? Well, it was so significant because the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County are not only the economic engine for the region, but they're, the, they're an economic engine for the state. And so to have the city and county um, in a p place of fiscal instability is really undermining our ability to grow as a region and grow as a state. So the legislature's support, not only for shared revenue, but for the sales tax, gives us the ability to start um, taking care of the pension liability, investing in public safety, which is a core function, and making sure that we have the parks and other cultural assets that make uh, Milwaukee a great region to live, work, play, and learn. So I view this as a fundamental change in how our local municipalities were funded, and it really sets up uh, Dale now, the organization, the mayor, and the county executive to grow. Do you anticipate any concerns from members about that local sales tax impact? Have you heard anything about that? No, and obviously we would not have gone forward like we did if we didn't hear positive feedback that they got. I mean, essentially, they looked at MMEC's only advocated for tax increases twice, and that was for the Miller Park tax back in the day, and then also this. And I think what they really saw was that the weight of those other liabilities. I mean, for those that watch your show know uh, policy and know that the city pension and the county pension have been infamous pension plans that have had a drain on resources for decades. And with the legislation, they are on a, they're going to sunset. Not to mention the additional police, additional fire, saving our parks, saving our libraries. I think the bigger story too in here is that we had Democrats and Republicans that came together on this. And what we did is we found the adults in the room. 
We worked together with them. It was it was a tough process, but none of them went to Twitter or social media or press releases. When they had disagreements, they went back in that room and they sorted things out. And so with the new generation of leadership in the legislature in Milwaukee, we really, really feel like we could be the place that takes these adults in both parties, puts them in the room and solve big problems like this. So does this deal really fix the financial crisis for the city and the county for the foreseeable future? Will, are they definitely off that cliff? Call Dale. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't take them off the cliff, but it moves them back a number of years now. And, and they have the ability now to start making some investments, you know, in public safety and the things that Dale talked about. So it gives us the ability to grow. And as that sales tax revenue grow grows, it also takes a little bit of the edge off. It doesn't put them on fiscal easy street, and we don't want that to happen. But it gives um, the city and county an investment mindset instead of, de- of a defensive mindset. And, and with that comes the ability to grow the economy. And as the economy grows, you get new tax revenue. So it's really kind of a virtual to a circle, hopefully, a flywheel that we've started uh, that that local government can pick up on. Um, MMAC was also part of another significant win in the state budget with a significant increase in funding for independent charter and choice schools, uh, narrowing that funding gap between the choice system and public schools. Uh, since you, MMAC has really been part of choice advocacy since since that system was started in the 1990s. Uh, has that investment in the choice system paid off for the business community, Tim, the way you envisioned it back in 1990s? Yeah, if you think about what Dale talked from a forward-looking standpoint about talent, this is really a talent play for us. And what we want to do is ensure that kids have access to high-quality schools in the city of Milwaukee. And we have close to 45,000 kids in the city of Milwaukee that take public funding to go to a private school or an independent charter school. There was a huge gap, as much as 40%, between what those students were being funded at, what their peers were being funded at in the Milwaukee public schools. So we're agnostic when it comes to the delivery of education, but what we want is to give parents options to educate their kids in the best environment that they feel. This ability to close the gap now strengthens the schools in Milwaukee, allows them to provide quality options to to students, and gives us selfishly, maybe it's enlightened self-interest, a chance to develop the talent that our companies are going to draw from. Has that talent been coming out of the choice system into the business community in the last 30 years? I would say nobody's happy with the educational attainment, uh, but we're moving in the right direction, and there are thousands of students now who have gotten access to a high-quality education, gone to a two-year or four-year institution, and come back and worked for you know our members. So again, this is enlightened self-interest. It isn't that we're picking a private school or an independent charter school over the Milwaukee public schools. What we want is quality across the board. School choice advocates often point to test scores and they say that choice and independent charter schools will outperform Milwaukee public schools uh, in achievement in reading and math. But when you look at the system as a whole, there's still a significant majority of students that aren't proficient in reading and math in the Milwaukee area. What still needs to change in K-12 education, would you say, Dale? Well, I mean, I was just at St. Marcus uh, School on Saturday night for their gala, and they're one of the higher-performing choice schools, and their superintendent got up there and put the stats right up there as far as how far they need to go, even though they (laughs) greatly outperform other schools in that zip code. 
So there's very few people in the choice or other you know, education community, I think any system, patting themselves on the back and say, we've arrived, we're the standard, we're at 100% renewable proficiency. So it has to be a hunger for continuous improvement. Um, I think also is looking not only at the education system, but also having more honest conversations about this is a family effort. I mean, what the choice and charter schools do that are high performing is they pull the family into that conversation, they community into that conversation. And there's other organizations in our community that are, are seeing that and making an impact. So all in Milwaukee is some of them who we're working closely with and they recognize these kids are not only being failed by a school system, but also being failed in many part by a larger community, including a family. And what they're doing is they're saying, okay, how does the community better plug in these kids to make sure that they graduate college, make sure they get a job in our in our workforce. So it's going to be a 360 degree effort. And so we're going to, we're going to stay on top of that and keep pushing. It's, I, I, it's not going to be a destination we reach. It should be something that we're always hungry for more education because education is a civil rights issue of our era. During your time in the legislature, you were you often proposed pretty aggressive reforms for Milwaukee, Milwaukee public schools in particular. Is that uh, the sort of advocacy that you continue in your new role around MPS in particular? Well, we'll continue to have conversations at the board level as far as what that looks like, and the board will drive what the future looks like for MPS. And we do a lot with MPS programmatically. So we do a program called Be the Spark, which is hundreds of kids that from MPS, we bring them in. To, we use the Pfizer form this year to use the Bucks as a centerpiece. And not that the Bucks were like, oh, you should be a Bucks player, but giving them visibility on all the different people that make those players work, the healthcare workers, the marketing people, the accountants. And so we do programs like that with MPS. We'll be announcing a much uh, manufacturing-related program we're doing with them uh, come next year, so stay tuned. So we work with MPS, and anything that we decide to do legislative in the future will be because we want to see a stronger MPS because we just want a stronger education system across all the different options. When you were in the Senate uh, in February 2021 on the floor, you said the greatest source of social injustice in this state is our lack of fair access and fair outcomes in our educational system. Do you still believe that? I, I believe that, and I believe MAC believes that, which is why we've been paired up. <laughs> <laughs> and it has an impact on the economy? Oh, it has a huge impact on the economy. Is um, everything from those jobs that are just as important if that require a high school degree to those jobs that require a PhD from MSOE and artificial intelligence, whatever it is, along that spectrum, the quality of education, the access to education is, is critical. And um, the business community has told us that that's among their number one priorities, and so it will be something that we keep fighting for. You mentioned, Tim, there are now almost 50,000 students in that choice and independent charter system. I know you're aware there's a new lawsuit before the Wisconsin State Supreme Court challenging the funding of the choice and charter system in the state. Uh, it's brought by a group of taxpayers funded by the Manaqua Brewing Company. In that lawsuit, they say what started out as a small experimental program in Milwaukee in the 1990s has been transformed by our legislature into a large and growing cancer on Wisconsin's public schools. Substantial growth in state-funded private school enrollment will force public school districts into a funding death spiral. Do you agree that there's a funding shortage in public schools, specifically in MPS? Well, I don't know that there's a funding shortage. And, and fundamentally, what we're trying to do is put resources in the hands of parents so they can make the best choices. We want 
MPS to have funding, but we also want parents to have funding to go to these other options. And so without telegraphing a punch, I think there's going to be a vibrant response uh, to that uh, lawsuit. Um, and the Supreme Court has the choice of taking original jurisdiction or passing on it. And our goal is to get the Supreme Court to pass on it. I think there are a ton of factual errors in this. Nobody started out the, the parental choice program um, in the late 1980s with the goal of decimating the public school system. They started out with a goal which is true today, which is to ensure that parents have access to a quality education. And that is the point of parent choice. Um, and so I think this lawsuit completely misses the point of parent choice. They, they, they talk about the way that the choice system is funded, that it has a negative impact on funding for public schools. Do you think that the choice system is to blame for the funding financial problems in the public school system? No, and there's I mean, this math that goes all over the place on this, but net-net the taxpayers are getting kids that are going to schools and they're paying less across all governments than they are for the public school equivalents. But once again, this isn't about a public school versus private or charter school argument. I mean, this is, and if you look at the lawsuit, the lawsuit has a state or a school district-centered approach, but, which by the way, if you look at the lawsuit, a lot of public school districts would be a huge loser on this as well, depending on the largest school choice program in the state is open enrollment. So it's, it's very unclear. You're going after open enrollment, which is a public school to public school transfer as well. So there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this lawsuit. But what we have is we have a student-centered approach to education. And if you look at a student-centered approach to education, that's why we fight for having equal funding across students. And so that's, that's where we feel like when this is given its, its true vetting, it will shown to be uh, a lawsuit that doesn't make sense. So we can expect to see MMEC intervene in the lawsuit, participate uh, Whether in we way? intervene or we um, participated as amicus, um, it remains to be seen, but we will be engaged. And I think the biggest testament this, to this is throughout the hearings, the budget hearings last year, and all through the legislature where the thousands of parents in green shirts in the Capitol asking for equitable funding for their students. That's really the heart of school choice, and that's really the heart of the message. So in your eyes, that funding system is fair to both public schools and choice and charter schools? I mean, I think you can always make improvements to them, but one is not um, inherently um, set up to destroy the other. Uh, another issue that you've been working hard on, both of you, I know you talked about going over to the Capitol after this interview today, is the funding to repair American Family Field for the and extend the Brewers' time in Wisconsin. Um, we know an amended bill is expected to go on the Senate floor tomorrow. Still some uncertainty whether or not the votes are there, but they did change several things recently. There's a greater contribution from the team. There's a less contribution from the state. There's an ability to tax non-Brewers' events. Uh, how do you feel about the current deal, uh, what you know about it today? I, I think it's good, and it probably can stand to um, improve a little bit from the taxpayer standpoint. How would you improve and, it? And, and I hope that's what happens. Well, how, how would I improve it? I think it is a, a bill right now that returns more to the taxpayer uh, than, than the taxpayers put in. Uh, but if there are some fine-tuning here that happens that improves the position of the state, whether the brewers make a little additional contribution, other things that happen uh, to get that across the finish line, I think it's good for um, uh, Wisconsin. At the end of the day, um, don't take my word for it. Take the Legislative Fiscal Bureau's word for it. And the state collects about $25 million a year in income and sales taxes from activities in the ballpark. But the biggest thing I'm excited about is that the bill goes on the floor tomorrow at 8 a.m. in the state Senate. 
And I walked off the Senate floor on October 5th, 1995 at 3.54 in the morning when the original bill passed. So hopefully we finish earlier tomorrow than we did uh, 22 years ago. <laughs> I was there as a young reporter from Green Bay. I didn't get a lot of sleep that night. Uh, you're, I know you'll be talking to some Senate Democrats or some senators over in the Capitol about this deal. What's your message going to be to them? Well, just talking message in general, not specifically to any legislators, but from a, you know, not to put the CPA hat on here, but here it is, is if you look at the math, the math makes sense. I mean, these players, the uh, front office, other folks are paying income taxes. You look at the amount of sales taxes that comes from this economic activity, and you look at the fact that we're going to have a huge liability on our hands with a taxpayer-owned stadium that's not being used if this doesn't come together. So from a purely financial standpoint, this is a great deal for the region, the entire state, which is why the state's involved. Um, from a larger, you know, when we look at talent development, when you look at the marketing of Milwaukee, I mean, Milwaukee is a small city in a global sense, but our Milwaukee brand name is recognized around the world, and it's in part because we have sports teams like the Bucks and the Brewers. And so the intangible benefit of having them here, both in talent recruitment, retaining talent, the family experience of going to a baseball game together, very, very American thing. I mean, I think the value proposition on here makes tremendous sense, and I feel very confident that the legislators will see that as well. You both believe it'll pass tomorrow? I do. 100% guarantee? Nothing's 100% <laughs> guaranteed in the legislature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mentioned you were around when Miller Park, when the deal for Miller Park was made. Is there anything, if you could go back in time, is there anything about that deal that you maybe would have changed that would make this moment in time easier? You know, I think the deal that was struck uh, when Miller Park was built in 2001 um, put us in a position here today that we're looking at a team in the smallest market in Major League Baseball extending its lease in the same stadium for 27 years. In other words, we'll be in this stadium for almost 50 years. So it's really a testament, in my view, to what was done in crafting the original legislation and putting us in a position where we're not talking about a new ballpark like they have in Texas and other places in the same period of time. So it's really a testament to a deal that was well struck then and I think is well struck now, again, to keep a team in the same ballpark uh, for another 27 years without investing in a new stadium. So maybe you'll be celebrating with champagne at the end of the day tomorrow. Huh? Or beer. <laughs> or beer. Okay, yes, Milwaukee beer. Okay. Um, uh, you talked in that member meeting of MMAC about some of the promising work of the Region of Choice initiative that was uh, constructed in 2018, really around a workforce shortage, particularly with diverse communities. Why is that initiative important? I'll start with you, Dale. Why is that important to employers and the local economy in the Milwaukee area? Well, I mean, our employers have told us it's important. And it's important because from a perspective of what the leadership in our community looks like versus what the demographics of our region look like, they looked at it and said, we have more room for additional talent and leadership that's more diverse. And so that program was very successful. There was hard metrics that created accountability and those metrics have already been exceeded. So right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna go around the community, which we're doing in these conversations, and say, okay, what is the next step? I mean, Region of Choice really was about is here's your binder of candidates. Here's the folks that you typically look for people with jobs. And you probably have your network, and you, you know, at this country club, and like this is the school you graduated from. 
But really that program said, hey, let's make that binder bigger. And then when you have that binder bigger full of more resumes, guess what happens is you have a more diverse workforce. And the workforce that's – businesses aren't just doing this. They're doing this because of this reason, and that's because it's the right thing to do. But they're also doing this because it's good for business. It's good for business to have different perspectives, different cultures. And so it's working well. So we're looking forward to working with the team as far as – what Region of Choice 2.0 looks like in the future. Yeah, some of the early survey work in Region of Choice kind of told this story of, of the two Milwaukee's, mm -hmm. of this great disparity between um, white residents and residents of color. Can you talk a little bit more about the two Milwaukee's and what you found? We, we can, and it's one of the challenges that was uh, tipped up when we did our strategic review that Dale is undertaking right now. And one of the things that we heard was one of the things holding back Milwaukee is the racial disparity that exists. We have the largest gap in prosperity between the white and black community, between the white and brown community, uh, against 20 other peer markets. Gap in employment, gap housing. Gap in employment and housing, um, education. family ownership, education. So all those indicators that roll up into this disparity gap. And so what we did was bring employers together, and as Dale pointed out, it really is a talent play. This is how do we make ourselves more attractive to a wider range of talent, both that's in our community and, and that might move to our community. So that's really fundamentally what's behind the region of choice is to help close this disparity, but really for employers to make a business decision about how they can improve their access to talent. Do you think you'll, do you anticipate a day uh, maybe in the next decade where we won't be talking about the two Milwaukee's or is that too optimistic? Uh, no, I don't think anything's off the table. I mean, uh, the you know Tim went through the exercise I went through uh, six, seven years ago, and the racial disparities was the number one, yep. right? right? Which actually led to oh wow, this is the number one issue. We need to address this. And in my conversations, it has not risen to the top three or four. Um, it's on the top maybe five or ten, and we're still quantifying this and having those conversations, but it has not risen to the same level. Not because we have not arrived at a destination, just because progress has been made. So there's definitely more work to do on this. I mean, the statistics are there. They're, they're no secret. I won't go through all those, but we have more work to do on this. It's a higher priority now than ever before. Yeah, it's, I mean, so, you know, at MNBC, we have four different um, initiatives that focus on supporting that vision, and that's talent, that's growth, that's livability, and that's equity. And that's probably a whole other conversation we'd have about equity and what that means for folks. But what I have given a lot of thought to that word and what it means, and essentially, um, once again, as a reminder, I'm a CPA, and we're in a business chamber. And so what is equity? Well, equity is just ownership. The balance sheet is assets equal liabilities plus equity. It's simply ownership. And when we're looking at ownership, is when we're looking across our community and simply saying, there's a portion of our population that does not have the same ownership interest in Milwaukee that other populations have had for a long time. And that's because of an education system that didn't serve them. That may be because of redlining back in the day. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different reasons here. So we simply want to make sure when we look at those four talents, we look at what we're going to do, is we want to make sure that everyone in Milwaukee and the Milwaukee region feels like they have a sense of ownership and that they're moving in an economic sense and in other senses as well towards the concept of ownership in our community. Republican National Convention coming to Milwaukee in next July. What do you hope convention goers see and learn about the community? Well, I mean, Milwaukee's on the sense. I mean, if you look at the metrics we have, you look at what we're accomplishing, I mean, 
I remember for years driving to Madison and looking at all the cranes above Madison and being like, I wish Milwaukee had more cranes. And I will tell you, whether you look at the skyline right now in Milwaukee, which has several cranes up there building um, and people investing in the city, if you look at the eyes I saw on Saturday night at St. Marcus School as far as these kids and what they're going to do in our community and plug in, or if you look at the details of what M7 is doing, everything from Microsoft investment to the tune of over a billion dollars to, you know, leveraging our food and beverage expertise with you know, the largest soon-to-be candy factory in North America. We are on the ascent in Milwaukee, and I believe that this convention is going to show the international community that Milwaukee is a place that actually, you know, we punch outside of our weight class and our best days are ahead of us. What do you see as Milwaukee and the region's biggest challenge currently, and what's your advice to Dale about that? Well, my advice to Dale is, is to listen, uh, to learn, and he's doing that. And again, I come back to the point I made earlier that this is an organization that gets up every, every day recognizing we're competing for jobs and capital investment. So how do we put our community, our city, our state, our region in the best place to compete for those capital investment and those jobs. If we do that right, the rest of it takes care of itself. Biggest challenge currently for Milwaukee? Growth. Growth. The biggest challenge is growth. Uh, as Dale mentioned earlier, our demographics are flatlining. We're continuing to grow. So we need to look at productivity. We need to look at getting more people into the workforce. And we need to make sure that we understand we have to be lifelong learners. What do you consider to be your greatest accomplishment with MMAC over these last 30 years? Well, I hope my greatest accomplishment um, is making a good baton pass to Dale because I was a relay runner in an organization that's 162 years old. And what's really important is I think it's been a very impactful entity. And I think I want to make sure that we have a really good baton pass to the next runner who can carry it beyond where we were. If you had a highlight reel, what's on that highlight reel from the 30 years? Is it Pfizer Form? Is it American Family Field? Is it School Choice? Yeah, I think you could pick out a lot of things, again, like, you know, giving parents access to quality education, to some of the infrastructure projects we've had between Pfizer Forum and Miller Park and now American Family Field, to the work we've done um, recruiting, you know, uh, tens of thousands of jobs to the region. Dale mentioned Microsoft, Haribo, and others. But really the most impactful thing uh, I think that we can do is to bring business leaders together to invest their time, talent, and energy in making this a better place to live. So what I really hope is we've left Milwaukee a little better off than we were when, when, it, came, when it came to us. I, I want to just chime in there because I think Tim's legacy is going to be, he took a huge, huge risk. And when I go around meeting other chamber presidents, which I do now, there's a certain risk aversion as far as going into hot political issues that are going to make people upset. And when Tim was a young president of MAC, he said, we're going to go into this education thing, we're going to try the school choice thing. That was very, very controversial. And there were some folks in the community that did not like that. But the reason I mention is that because it not only is Tim's legacy in MAC in the Milwaukee region, that is now not a statewide program. That is, an, that is a national movement that started in Milwaukee. And because of that national movement, because risks were taking, there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids that are now have access to education that is one, more aligned with their principles, whatever their principles are as a family, and two, more aligned with academic, stam academic standards that I see those students succeed. We are at the end of our interview, but I'd like both of you to say in one sentence, if you could, uh, where you'd like to see Milwaukee in the next 30 years, Dale. 
Next 30 years, I actually appreciate the mayor who said, I want to grow the city to a million people, and we want to see that same type of growth throughout the whole Milwaukee region. Tim, 30 years, Milwaukee? Uh, more equitable growth. More equitable growth. Well, thank you both, and good luck to you both as you move on in your careers. Thanks for having us. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. You have been watching a production of Wisconsin Eye, your unfiltered window into legislative deliberations and public policy programming, where our mission is to provide Wisconsinites an opportunity to access the legislative process and connect with conversations that inform our citizenry. Please consider supporting our mission, and thank you for watching. Wisconsin Eye, policy made public.